Our next speaker is Kate Hamalalen from Reverse Garbage Queensland Cooperative. Thanks for yeah that last um, speech. That was really good. There's a lot of points I'll be touching on as well, so that's good that we were grouped into the same uh, gathering, I guess. Um, it's been really good just being at the conference as well. Um, it's been really inspiring to see lots of people interested in new economy movements and whatnot. Uh, my name's Kate. I work for a not-for-profit cooperative called Reverse Garbage Queensland, which I'll be talking about further. But essentially, we are a resource reuse centre. Um, and we take materials that we're going to otherwise go into the waste stream and then we repurpose them for the general public at an affordable price for everyone. So I'll be talking on sustainability through democracy um, and I'll be tackling this kind of issue of ownership which I think is very key to any kind of um, understanding that we have of um, economics, politics, society. Like ownership is very core. Uh, a lot of people say that we would have a crisis of the environment or a crisis of income, but I think a crisis of ownership is, I think, a more fundamental thing to discuss. So, um, I have to acknowledge all of the paid and unpaid labor that's gone into creating the society that we live in now and all the personal um, liberties which I've been able to uh, experience myself, but in particular, this speech will be based around these few things. So the first being a book by um, Nick Schrenek and um, Alex Williams, uh, what's it called, uh, In Inventing the Future. Um, also a great article, which you can look up later, um, How to Be an Anti-Capitalist Today, and Democracy at Work Network is um, fantastic as well, run by Richard Wolf um, from yeah, the Democracy at Work Institute. So um, why are there so many issues with the environment? I mean, isn't everyone an environmentalist now? I mean, maybe we're just living in our own bubbles, um, but like, it seems that like, on the one hand, there's all these great things that you hear about going on, all these new technologies, these cheaper, um, eco-friendly products, all these people claiming to be environmentalists. You ask people, on average, more people say that they're environmentalists than not. Um, but on the other hand, we've also got all these big issues that you read about, and they can sometimes be paralyzing. Uh, we have excessive land clearing, soil degradation, uh, ongoing greenhouse gas emissions, ocean acidification, whatnot, you name it. There's a lot of issues going on, but it seems like there's all these like other solutions, and it's, it's hard to try to like mesh your brain around why these things are happening simultaneously. Um, isn't everyone an environmentalist and we all want to live on you know, a sustainable planet? And so in trying to deal with the cognitive dissonance, um, people then identify a problem and it's very much the case that the way that we identify a problem is also the way that we tend to try and solve that problem. So um, when there's the identification of the problem in this sense, then we get these kinds of common sense solutions. So if Globalization is the reason why everything is going bad, uh, not just environmentally, but you know, socially, economically, etc. Then the solution is, well, it's obvious, just do everything locally instead. Uh, if big business or all business or money is the problem, then we should just barter, right? Surely that's, that will fix everything. Corporations, we don't like corporations, let's shrink them down instead. Uh, corruption, well, just new politicians, they'll fix it. Uh, bad ideas, let's spend more on education. I mean, just throw more money at education. Uh, if there's technology, well then technology's the problem. Like, we should all be um, anarcho-primitivists. We should reject all technology and smash it. Uh, representation, direct consensus. That'll, that'll do it. We should all be involved in every single decision. Uh, wasteful products, well, ethical consumerism. I just don't consume at all. Um, now, for more reasons or less, I could talk about why all of these kinds of uh, problems and solutions are uh, inadequate. Um, they're either not fundamental in explaining the reasons for, I guess, uh, a lot of different issues happening simultaneously, or the solution uh, isn't tenable. It won't get widespread majority uh, support. 
Um, so, in the book um, by Trinisek and Williams, uh, they talk about the concept of folk politics, uh, which is a collectively and historically constructed political common sense. So, uh, unfortunately, by its nature, folk politics is out of touch with actual emancipatory gains. Like, um, I guess over the last 40 or 50 years, people get the idea of like what should be done. We need uh, to just get rid of all hierarchies. Um, we need to do everything more locally. I'll go into that in the next slide. But essentially, the idea is that all tactics, strategies, any kind of organizational structure that you want, it has to be realistic. It has to be having a goal and trying to achieve that goal. Um, so while many historically uh, contextual strategies, tactics, etc., that like people have always been fighting for, um, they've become inadequate for the more complex, abstract, non-linear, and global problems that we have. Uh, signing a petition might have been a big deal back in the day, but um, these days it's very easy to get however many you know signatures. Um, joining a union might have been a great way to uh, try and build some power, you know, for your industry or for your work workers, but. Um, these days, the nature of the labor force is a lot more uh, disrupted when you have like uh, platforms like Uber and um, Airbnb and stuff. It makes it more difficult to get everybody to join, you know, the one union and um, whatnot. So um, I can talk about the Occupy movement as an embodiment of folk politics itself. Uh, at its peak, there were over 950 cities worldwide in 2011 who had some kind of Occupy movement going on, uh, each with their own social, economic, political, environmental concerns. Uh, it's not all one, you know, uh, monolith. There's never a monolith when you're trying to be uh, analytical about society. Uh, so these occupations attracted up to tens of thousands of people, all political persuasions. You had, uh, in the American context, you can say conservatives and liberals, uh, but it attracted, um, you know, the far right, far left, far everything. Um, lots of people were concerned, and there was a general sense of, like, there is an issue in society, and we need to do something about it. Um, but then you might ask what concrete gains were made from the Occupy movements. Despite massive attention and support, the movement didn't have demands. It didn't have, uh, and it had d direct democracy as like, I guess, a um, uh, embodiment of all that was good rather than the actual means that could come from that. So people were lining up in Cincinnati Square, uh, Cincinnati Park rather. They had you know, tens of thousands of them all spending six hours in the sun trying to like, get to the fine point of something, but um, minor issues, and it wasn't really an option for a lot of people to spend so much time being involved in a deliberative process with tens of thousands of other people. It was difficult, um, and there was also like an anti-demands um, anti kind of like thing going on, so they didn't want to have any demands because they didn't want to isolate everyone. They wanted everyone to be on board. They didn't want to uh, put anything concrete down for fear of being exclusionary, but uh, as a result, the Occupy movement was easily um, smashed. So, going further into what folk politics is, um, there's some popular themes. So it's all about strategies, tactics, organizations that they value expression over results. They want immediate results instead of long-term results. They want to focus on the local over the global. Uh, they want uniqueness over scalability, uh, being reactive to events over being proactive. Uh, they think it's either identity or all about class rather than both of these things. Uh, there's individual decisions over collective decisions, being particular over being universal. Uh, spontaneous, authentic kind of like uh, expressions of public anger over a more institutional approach. The word institution's a dirty word on much of the left, but I don't think that that's um, something that we should be uh, striving to push. Uh, they want familiar things, a return to the past over inventing the future. 
Um, there's actually a funny uh, story in the book. It talks about how um, on the way to the protest, there's these people who they managed to knock down a fence for this protest somewhere. And once they knocked down this fence, there was a few hundred of them, and they didn't know what to do. <laughs> they didn't have a concrete plan. They, they were resisting for the sake of resisting. Uh, and so unfortunately, the reality of complex globalized capitalism and states is that interventions, which are small and unscalable, are very unlikely to win any concrete gains in the long term. Uh, so the authors make the point that while resistance is highly prized as an ideal in folk politics, it is ultimately futile as an end in and of itself. That's not to say that all resistance is worthless. Um, in many cases, it's important to resist some things, like for example, the Adani mine, but that's not all you should be doing. You should also be trying to build power, uh, make the kind of world that you want to see as well. And ideally, you create virtuous cycles, whereby the actions you make at time one translate into more power, consolidated power for time two, and makes it easy to win another victory in time three. Uh, so the future must be built. The book, other than completely um, giving, I guess, like the last 40 years worth of leftism a, a regular hiding, um, <laughs> rightly so, it also talks about how the neoliberal project was built. And it is a project, and it was built. It took more than a century, you know, with like thinkers like um, Hayek and all that, who were coming together, making institutions, making uh, media projects, think tanks, etc., an ecology of organizations, a bunch that all together uh, supported each other and um, promoted the kind of like common sense and views that we see today that are expressed all throughout society. Um, and you can, see, you can see the kind of impact on the ways that people should be like thinking about things. Like, you know, we have a very competitive job market rather than a cooperative one. And the ways that we design all the institutions and infrastructure, it's all like a very neoliberal sense. Um, so in the same way that neoliberalism was built, it's also the case that we can build more sustainable, democratic, egalitarian organizations that also have that culture of a new common sense. People can assume to trust others rather than regard them as competitive, self-rational, you know, self-maximizing individuals. Um, so there's a million ways that this could be done. And it's not here to say that you know we can build the future. There's a blueprint. Obviously, we had that speech yesterday about how the blueprint isn't known yet, and we can't know it. It has to be an ongoing process led by, I think, values like of egalitarianism, participation, uh, environmental and social responsibility. But we should be strategic in what we spend our time doing. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't think that they have 80,000 hours of working life, paid or unpaid, and that they should be dedicating it towards becoming specialized and becoming useful for a particular purpose and trying to achieve those purposes, winning campaigns that win more power, as I've said before. So an example of this could be the four-day work week, which the authors say is like the most radical thing that could be done right now. And most of you might think, oh, four days, yeah, that would be nice, but radical, really? Um, well, if you think about it, it um, decreases the supply of labor, assuming that you still get paid five days. Um, so it's the case that then workers have more power, they have more bargaining, they have more of an income as well, because wages haven't really risen recently, cost of living has, uh, makes us all desperate to keep working, stay in our jobs, don't strike. Um, but it also gives more time and money to organize further campaigns. And that's what we should be doing, trying to consolidate power and create power. Um, another example, not a policy, but an organization which can be built, and policies and organizations should interact and help each other, as with all the different organizations in the ecology of organizations that we need to build, think tanks left-leaning think tanks, so developing policies, culture, campaigns, and experts to support egalitarian ends. You know, uh, 
writing a really famous book which has a post-capitalist, post-work future, maybe, like the one that they did. That's why I'm here today. So, so far I've talked about what isn't the problem with society, uh, especially in regards to the environment. So what is wrong with business as usual? Um, it's to do with purpose and structure. So these things incentivize each other, purpose and structure. Now, I've got a business degree, which means I'm an anti-capitalist. Um, <laughs> which I and I think capitalism itself is like one of many problems that we have to face. It's, you know, capitalism, the state. Then there's also things like um, social issues, like sexism, racism, etc. These things can exist independent of the state and capitalism, but they can also be uh, very much inflamed by that. Um, so what is, what is capitalism? It's like this vague thing. What is neoliberalism? This vague thing that we talk about and rant about. And, um, anyway, so private ownership is a core tenet of capitalism, so based on your ability to pay for ownership. Uh, private control, so decisions are made ultimately by owners, uh, often delegated through managers, and you get like kind of a workplace hierarchy. Um, and there's production for profit, so the purpose is to maximize your profits. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> Needless to say, there's a lot of issues with this kind of system. Um, quickly going into some socially, so a lot of people are locked out of ownership. Um, those that can afford ownership become wealthy as time goes on. Workers are hired and fired as commodities. Workers can't self-determinate, um, and so on. I don't have much time, so environmental issues as well. Uh, there's profit-maximizing firms. They can externalize costs to the taxpayers of the environment. For example, in the Queensland context, there's a lot of um, Mines that have gone out of business, bankrupt, without paying for their um, uh, their fixing environmentally. Um, I'll just keep going on. But then people also argue that capitalism is necessary because it breeds innovation. But uh, that's not really the case. Um, for example, they say, "Oh, you blog about you know capitalism on your on your smartphone." But uh, it's the case that the smartphone was created by a lot of government leads. <coughs> Um, innovations that then capitalist firms could then benefit on in the book The Entrepreneurial State by Masakudo, which is definitely worth reading. Um, so what's the big solution then? Well, I think that there's not one solution. There's an ecology of organizations that we need to support that have multiple points of uh, support and no single point of failure. Um, so I'll talk about cooperatives in a minute. Um, and it's the case that we already have a lot of cooperatives around the world, in Australia. Um, lots and lots of them, and they're doing great things. They're in health insurance, they're in banking, they've got billions of dollars worth of investments, and they've got hundreds of thousands to millions of members. Um, it's a tenable solution that we can just scale up, really. And they encourage the culture of more democracy, egalitarianism, and usually they're more concerned <coughs> with the environment as well. Um, so how do they work? Socially owned, somehow. Workers, customers, uh, the community at large. They're socially controlled, not made by uh, private uh, individuals who are investors who make money because they have the uh, power to own. Uh, the production is then also for use value rather than to make more money, it's to make worthwhile products, environmentally friendly products, etc. Um, the point is that you want to encourage accessibility, not just opportunity. Opportunity is saying, well, I guess you're from a rich family, you're from a poor family, you've all got the same opportunity though, right? Um, you want equality of accessibility. Uh, so. You're also making money to provide a service. You're not providing a service to make money. Um, and your focus is on win-win solutions rather than like us versus them solutions. And you encourage more democracy throughout the organization. Uh, it's very difficult to be uh, sexist when you know all the women on the board can also vote as well. Um, so bringing <laughs> democracy to the enterprise is what it's all about. Thank you.